think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like in Argentina, for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 325 of Low Limit Football on this 2nd of May, 2021. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight... Manchester City jumps out to a 2-1 lead over PSG, and the news gets even worse for Paris as Kylian Mbappe may miss the second leg due to a calf injury. Real Madrid and Chelsea battle to a 1-1 draw, leaving it all to play for this week at Stamford Bridge. In the Europa League, Arsenal falls short, losing the first leg 2-1 to Villarreal in the Europa League, but United set one foot into the final with a commanding 6-2 win over Roma. Races in Spain and France are extremely tight with just a handful of matches left to play. We're going to discuss all of this and much more with our special guests, Martino Puccio from State of Play and Milan Reports Podcast, and Stel Stiliano from Shoot the Defense Podcast, who will be joining us in just a moment. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. How are you, my man? I'm very well, Joe. I'm excited to have two great guests, two great friends of the show, and I'm, I'm super excited for the conversation that we're going to have. Absolutely. Two, two very uh, kind guests to us. They've always been great supporters of ours um, and looking forward to it as well. Um, let's, you know what? Let's get them in here. Let's introduce them first. So first up, um, you know, certainly a longtime friend of the show, Stel Stiliano from Shoot the Defense. Stel, how are you tonight, mate? Hello, gentlemen. Hello, um, Basca, as we say. It's uh, Orthodox Easter. So, yeah. Christos Anesti, Christ has risen again for the second time this year, apparently. <laughs> That's right. It depends on which religion we're following, right? Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then uh, also, like I said, Martino Puccio from State of Play and Milan Reports. Martino, what's going on, man? Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, not bad. Finally got a Milan match out of the way so I can enjoy my Sunday. So uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it as always. It's always fun. No, we're not going to let you off the hook that easy because next week uh, you and I are going to have words. So, uh, but we'll oh, talk. Yeah. We'll talk about that later on. Uh, let's let's jump into it because I know we're pressed for time. Um, but Roberto, you have a trivia question. Uh, I figured you could throw it on all of us, and then uh, we'll get you an answer at the end of the show. 
Absolutely. So this one comes from Michael Cantley. It's a, more, a bit of a stat question. I know how you guys love it, but um, basically there's a chart that gives the players with the most completed crosses since 2010-11 in the big five leagues and in the Champions League and the Europa League. So I just want you to I just want you to give me one name of the player that had the most completed crosses since 2010-11 in the big five leagues and in the Champions League Europa League. It's a name that all of you guys know, so let's see if you can figure that out. Wow, okay. I've, I've got a couple of, of names in mind. We'll uh, we'll figure that out and get that to you at the end of the show. So, again, like we said, today is a little bit of a departure from the norm. Uh, normally, we would have a an opening thoughts. We would have, uh, you know, we would do our, our guest after that. But since we're lucky to have two guests with us, uh, let's talk about the Champions League with uh, with two great guests. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Stel, first, because in my opening monologue, we talked about uh, City having a lead right now. Chelsea currently 1-1. And then you go to the Europa. Arsenal are behind um, Villarreal, but they did pick up a road goal. And then uh, United are, are all but done, uh, although Roma has turned that deficit around before. So are we looking at another year um, of an all EPL final in both the Champions League and the Europa League like we had two years ago? What are your thoughts about that? God, I hope not. Can you imagine <laughs> social media? The Premier League is the best league in the world. Why? Because there's four teams from the Premier League in, in Europe's semifinals. I mean, that's a, that's a ridiculous argument. Um, but yeah, in answer to your question, I think it will be. I think Arsenal will turn over Villarreal. I know they haven't been great in the league this season, but... You know, Arteta is a cup manager, isn't he? As we saw last season, uh, Solskjaer looks like he's got over the semi-final hoodoo. So I, I fully expect United to play Arsenal in the final. And as for the Champions League, OK, City, I think will get through, especially if Mbappe is out, as you said earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, as for Real Madrid, Chelsea, that's a difficult one to call. I think that's the most difficult one for me to call anyway. Uh, Real Madrid, you cannot rule them out. And um, you know, although Chelsea have got the away goal, I think defensively, they're still a little bit ropey. I know people are going to say to me, well, Mendy's kept 20-odd clean sheets this season. Well, it's Champions League we're talking about, and it's Real Madrid. So you're talking about a team that's won it the most occasions, and Zidane, that's got, what, three Champions Leagues yep. under his belt as a manager? So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping Real Madrid will get past Chelsea, and I'm hoping Paris Saint-Germain will get past Sete, but I can't see that happening, the latter anyway. Yeah, and I think it'll be a very tough matchup um, when you go look, looking into the Champions League. Martin, I'll go to you on this one because I think that for the Europa League, it's a bit more straightforward. I think Manchester United definitely had it uh, done for Roma. I think Arsenal have the talent to be able to uh, reverse uh, the reverse their tie against uh, Villarreal, even though Unai Emery is someone that is very much an expert in this tournament. And as into the Champions League, I, I think... Yeah, it will depend on if, you know, if Kylian Mbappe, who, you know, to admit, didn't have the best few matches, the last two matches, at least in the Champions League, wasn't his best one. We did see more of a of Neymar, Di Maria, Verratti, you know, those players stepping up. But I wouldn't count them out in this. I wouldn't count any of the two teams that are going into the second leg looking to basically beat the English clubs. I think, as, as Stel said, I think Real Madrid, with the talent and the experience and, you know, obviously... <laughs> the winners of these competitions for many years, they definitely have what it takes to to um, to reverse that tie and, and be, to be able to qualify for the final. And the same for PSG. You know, these players also went to the, the Champions League final last year and they definitely have the talent possible. So I wanted to, to ask you, you know, do you feel that it is as straightforward for the English clubs or do you feel that, you know, maybe even to the case of Villarreal, if they have a chance to reverse their tie against Arsenal and obviously for Real Madrid and PSG to reverse their ties in the Champions League? 
So I think I think out of all the English clubs, I think it's very clear United are the ones that would go through with this one. Roma has a ton of injuries that they're dealing with too. And whenever you are up 2-1 away, and I understand they had to use all three of their substitution times um, in the first half. But if you give up five goals in the second half in a semifinal, like for me, there's no coming back from that. Away or home, I, I just find it inexcusable. And Roma, in general, just don't have that type of quality that could help them overcome in this one. It's and I know and I know Joe referenced the the Barcelona tie in the Champions League. It's just unfortunately for them, it's it's crazy. It was only a couple of years ago, but there's very few players that even were on that side uh, to pull off that comeback. So I, I'm not really confident in that. As far as the others go, I think the most confident team um, I would probably be City. But even City, to to City's extent, I thought they did an amazing job on Mbappe, right? Especially in the first half. Um, but they still had their chances. And at the end of the day, the way City scored in that was just a couple of howlers for the most uncharacteristic match. Because, Roberto, you and I, uh, I don't know how many times we could possibly praise Kaylor Navas and DMs or public tweets um, all the time. And that was probably the worst ever Champions League match she's had. So for me, it's kind of like, is he going to do that again in the return leg? It's kind of it's kind of something I don't see. And as far as Arsenal-Villarreal, I think that one's a crapshoot. Uh, listen, there, I, I think there's been a history of Emery teams not holding leads properly in Europe. But then again, he dominates in this competition. Um, you know, you would have said if Villarreal didn't get the, the red card as well, you could have felt more positive about them. But, you know, they were given such an advantage against Arsenal. And I don't think they pounced on it like they should have. Um, and and the final one with Real Madrid-Chelsea, I it really depends to me on who Chelsea put up top. Um, I think there should be a shout to put Olivier Giroud over uh, Timo Werner in this. And it has nothing to do with, you know, Werner not really, you know, being a, a top-class finisher this year at all because, I mean, he's been quite horrific. I just think Giroud is just this big-game player. He stepped up for them already in this competition, especially uh, against Atletico. And the return of Sergio Ramos, if that's more than likely to happen, you need to kind of counter that some way with experience um, and and for me, putting Sergio Ramos up against Timo Werner is just a massive win for Real Madrid. If that was the case, even if it's at Stamford Bridge, um, I just I just think that um, a couple of these are up in the air. I do eventually see Real Madrid City and uh, United versus Arsenal. Unfortunately, we do have one English final, but if we could prevent one of them, I'm going to go with that and the Champions League final. Even though it's Real Madrid for like the umpteenth time. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it'll be a very two interesting competitions that are in play. Um, I, you know, still, I wanted to go back to you on what's going on in the Europa League and, and obviously talk about Manchester United real quick. Obviously, you know, if they are able to win the Europa League, um, it would be their only title of the season. But having said that, looking at how the team has, you know, essentially, you know, managed itself in this competition, do you feel confident in the way that they can indeed win this Europa League? Doesn't matter if they play Arsenal via Real. And, you know, how would you assess the season as a whole? You know, I think, you know, I think it's obviously going to be a given that they're going to make the Champions League no matter what happens um, next season. So I just wanted to ask, you know, how do you feel about this season for Manchester United, win or lose, if they go into the uh, to Europa League final? Oh, wow. OK. Um, hmm. It's a bit of a difficult one to answer, Rob, and I'll tell you why. Um, when you asked me about the Europa League and if I believe United will win it, whoever they play in the final, look, 
I've seen United play in an FA Cup final against Arsenal and lose on penalties. And we battered them for 120 minutes. Absolutely battered them. So playing an English team in a, in a, in a European final, it, it scares me. I mean, I was in Moscow when we beat Chelsea. And when John Terry went to step up, I said to my mate, come on, let's go back to the hotel. He said, no, let's wait. And lo and behold, we, we end up winning it. Um, so regardless of how bad Arsenal have been, um, playing them in a final, if that happens, it would scare me senseless. Now, I'm not saying that Villarreal will be easy, don't get me wrong, because Unai Emery has got a fantastic record with this, with this competition. We've seen it before with Sevilla. So I'm not ruling them out. However, they lack a lot of pace, do Villarreal. And I think in the final third, we can destroy them, especially with um, Cavani's movement. Now, as for your question regarding United season overall... Okay, uh, a Europa League victory is silverware, which is progress. Second place in the in the league is progress. So you want to talk about um, a, a difference from last season, but it's still pretty much the same. And by that I mean, City are miles ahead. Liverpool last season were miles ahead, which means that United are miles behind. So, where is the real progress here? I don't see much progress in that respect. Now, if United are challenging for the title. With one game to go, then I'll say fine. But today, as we as we're talking, because United play Liverpool this this afternoon, City could be champions. So I, I don't think it's been a successful season so far. If United win a trophy, you can say yeah, great, we've got silver. Where we can build on that. But nah, uh, you know, and this isn't me sounding like a typical United fan, as as we're known. You know, we're Man United. We should be competing. We should be. If we're we're supposedly one of the biggest clubs in the world. We should be competing for the for the title year year in year out. So yeah, but the the real the, the realistic factor here is that we're nowhere near title uh, contenders. Yeah, and I think when you look at the gap of all the other teams, it's it's really difficult to see them really contend for it unless something really drastic happens. So I completely Rob, agree. It's, but Rob, it's a, it's an overrated league. I've been saying yeah. this for a long time. <laughs> it's an overrated well, no. league. I'm sorry to say this, and I know people are going to get on my back for this, but it, the Premier League is so hyped, so hyped, and it, I, I, I don't see it. I don't get it. I really don't get it. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why some of them wanted to leave, that's for sure. Um, I wanted to switch gears. Money, and that's what it is, Rob. Yeah, there you go. Money, yes. mate, that's all it I is, agree. I agree. I wanted to switch gears to a team that has definitely given you more joy over the last uh, couple months, and that's Amonia. Obviously, your beloved Amonia mm. is on pace to Samu, my queen. Yeah. Yes. yes, they're on pace right now to win the Cypriot League. They're currently top of the table, and, you know, I don't want to be... I don't want to give them the kiss of death or anything and say, no, it's over. But having said that... Not. I know where you live. <laughs> having said that, what do you think is the secret to the success of this team? And how do you feel that, you know, for those that maybe are not as familiar with the Cypriot League or for Ammonia, what makes them so special? Do you know what? It's a, it's a family. You know, Matt Derbyshire, I don't know if you, you've ever heard of him. Uh, he used to play for Blackburn Rovers. He played the Rocket Santa Cruz up front with, with uh, Blackburn Rovers. And um, he played for Ammonia for a good four years. And Matt is a good friend of mine. And when he left in the summer, I was close to tears. Um, but, you know, it's, the club is a family, Rob. You know, we've had so many ups and downs over the years. We haven't won the league in 10 years. The club were near enough bankrupt four or five seasons ago. Fans were literally paying players in the street their wages. You know, 20 euros here, 10 euros here. It's, you know, we've been through so much due to mismanagement, but we've got a great owner. Henning Berg came in at the beginning of the last season. Henning Berg, who used to play for Man United. And uh, we've made some shrewd signings. We've got a great team ethic. The, the morale in the club is phenomenal. Um, everyone's playing for each other. And this season has been a, an incredible year for us. Last season, 
we finished top of the league, but unfortunately, uh, because of COVID, the, the season was suspended, so we didn't get to win the title officially. But we qualified for the, the Champions League uh, qualification stage, and um, we got some famous victories. You know, I could say, you know, we beat uh, Legge of Warsaw away from home, and people are like, well, it's just a Polish team. But this is Omonia from Cyprus, you know, a little team that shouldn't be anywhere near Champions League football. And then we played um, Red Star Belgrade, and we beat them at home, you know, with... Um, uh, Dejan Stankovic as their head coach and we beat them on penalties and there were 10,000 Omonia fans in the streets during lockdown with flares and just it, it was amazing and we played Olympiagos and we lost that one but we got to the Europa League for the first time in our history and you know again we didn't win all our games we, there was only one game that we won and then you know our season has just got had so many ups and downs Rob I can, I can go on all day about this club of mine but you know with two games to go with three points clear at the top of the table. The final game of the season is, is against second place Abolon, uh, who also have had a fantastic season. But I tell you what, we're so excited, man, because this team is just, mate, everyone plays for each other. And even the, the players have got a fantastic relationship with the fans. I mean, I'm lucky enough to know most of them, um, as you probably know from my Instagram. But it, it's an amazing team. And I, I just hope that we win the title and... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to get to Cyprus when, when it happens, but they're in lockdown at the moment, so I don't know if they're going to let me in the country, but hey. Still, I'm, I want to jump in here quick because I know we're pressed for time. I know you have to run, um, but I want, I, I want to ask one question um, that kind of Martino brought up, and I want to jump back into Champions League with you. Uh, the idea of Olivier Giroud versus Timo Werner. Uh, obviously, two different strikers away. Um Werner plays a little bit more flashy, kind of plays off the ball a little bit, where Giroud is a little bit more of a, of a stand-up striker, more like an Eden Dzeko-type build. Um, Tuchel has kind of pointed uh, his way into Werner uh, as opposed to, um, you know, as opposed to using Giroud. Uh, but the thought of using Giroud in the second leg would be, you know, something certainly interesting, especially with Sergio Ramos coming back. What are your thoughts on, on you know, going between Werner or, uh, or Giroud in this one? Uh, I, I like Giroud. For me, if you want to talk about a striker that scores with his first touch, he's up there. <laughs> I think every single goal he scores is with his first touch. He always hits it first time. Um, but listen, it, it depends on Tuchel's system. And Chelsea don't have to win, but they can't afford to concede an away goal. Mm -hmm. So does he go with the trusted 3-4-2-1 system that he plays or 3-4-3, however which way he plays it? If you're going to do that, you're going to need Timo Werner because he's more industrious. He gives you more off the ball, does a lot more running. Um, he's a, probably a better passer. And I think Giroud is a bit more, he's very static is Giroud. So, but then again, it's, it's the big game experience. Now, if Sergio Ramos is back, however, do Real Madrid risk him? Because you've got a difference between return to play and return to form. When a player comes back from, from injury, sure, that's the return to play. But what about return to form? How many games is it going to take them to be 100% match fit? You can't throw in Sergio Ramos, as, as experienced as he is, with all the World Cups and European Championships and whatever, throwing him into the Champions League semi-final when he's not even match fit. I think that would be a big gamble. I don't think Zidane will do that. I'd be, I'd be very surprised if he does. Um, if he does, then that must mean that, you know, Werner must play. You've got to have a runner against him. So, yeah, that's a long answer. Gotcha. So before I let you go, um, where can everyone find your work, my friend? Well, you can uh, visit 
uh, visit. You can follow me on Twitter at Shoot the Defense. But if you want to watch the Omonia podcast, which we've done a lot recently, um, we do match reviews and we've interviewed former players, one being Zay Elias, who played for Internazionale, uh, who used to play for Omonia as well. Uh, if, uh, go to the OLB on YouTube and look for the No Choftes podcast. And that's all there, mate. So, yeah, thanks again for your time. Thanks for having me on. Um, pardon my voice. I'm shivering. I'm actually really cold. <laughs> I'm freezing. I'm, uh, my yeah. teeth are chattering. Thanks. So, yeah. Thanks for coming on, mate. Uh, and happy Easter to you and the family. And, uh, and we're going to have you back again soon, as you know. Grazie. Grazie. Ciao, bello. Ciao. Thank you. Cheers. And thanks to first uh, to Stel for joining us, Martino. I did not forget about you, my friend. Um, you know, but I wanted to come back to you real quick. I want to actually run into Milan uh, with you for a second because mm. there's there's been some talk. I mean, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into the Juve Milan match coming up because I mean, there's so many parts to that that can affect Champions League and everything. So I, uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But I've seen reports that Stefano Pioli at the end of the season might be out at Milan and possibly going over to take over for Gennaro Gattuso down at Napoli and Gattuso maybe moving to Fiorentina. What are your thoughts on the job Pioli has done? And is this a good move, in your opinion, for Milan? Who would they bring in that would be better than Stefano Pioli right now? So I have not seen the the Napoli one, so that's a first. That's that's new to me. I did see the Fiorentina for Gattuso. Um, the only uh, Napoli one I saw Spalletti to uh, to Napoli was the one I saw. But I mean that would be that would be pretty crazy um, if that ever happened. Um, yeah. So I guess I'll go with the job he's done first. I thought he's I thought he's done a really sound job overall. Um, it's a really difficult situation, regardless, to come to Milan, especially in recent years. Um, and especially when you take over to the worst start that they had in decades. I mean, that was just um, inexcusable what was happening at the start of last season. He came in, listen, it took a lot um, to finally get things going. And it really kind of started turning around with Ibra. And then the formation changed to the 4-2-3-1 with the double pivot um, with Kessie and Benacer that really turned things on. I thought the break benefited them massively. Um when they weren't playing from early March all the way over to, I guess it was late June when they started back up again. Um, they had a great 2020. And then the second thing started happening with injuries, um, you know, condensed schedules, tired legs, you know, they had a, the play in rounds for the Europa league. And on top of that, uh, you know, they, they were just having all these insurmountable injuries where your best scorer is not even playing 20 matches this season. And he's 39 years of age. I just think when things started getting difficult for them, teams started figuring out their formation. He's playing a high line. His players are getting tired. His center backs aren't properly um, fit to play in that kind of system where you see Romagnoli getting burnt by Lukaku in a, in a derby match where he's saying he's too fast for him. There's been no adaptation. There's no, there hasn't been a formation change. We saw what happened against Lazio on Monday where teams that just have a 3-5-2 system or play counterattacking football have it very easy against Milan. And it seems to me that Pioli's solution is put a higher line, put a higher line up. And that catches them back out when there's just a mistake in the final third or the middle of the field, which they've been making a lot of whether it's been decision-making, tired legs, etc. I just think at the end of the day, it's been a trend with him because we've seen it at Inter. We've seen it at Lazio. And even, um, oh my God, Atalanta just scored down a man. Sorry. Um, and we've seen it. And we've seen it on other occasions is that this is a trend for him. 
And with Milan's current situation, it is an absolute must to make it to Champions League. And it seems to me that, Joe, and maybe you've seen it because you've obviously seen, seen more Serie A than me over the years, right? Um, this is just a trend with him. And it, regardless if he makes top four or not, I think there really needs to be a hard look at getting in someone that's a clear replacement and upgrade, in my opinion. You can't do a lateral move where it's just someone of the same stature and level as Pioli. I think you need to go with a clear upgrade, and that would be someone of Allegri stature. Obviously, that is the potential of going back to Juve because we see all those links. I think Sadi is another one who is a clear upgrade and manager, and I know people are upset like, oh, we have to do this whole new uh, restart. He has these specific type of players. I think they already have the type of players that could fit into his system. It's just one to two additions that they would need to be making anyways. So for me, at the end of the day, I think Milan needs to do what's best for Milan. And if there's a clear coaching upgrade, you go and do that. Because Inter have done it um, when they brought in Conte over Spalletti. And it's won them their first title in over a decade now. Um, And again, at the end of the day, um, they need to do what's best for Milan. And Pioli trending in this direction, and especially if he misses Champions League, there's no excuse. Because as you know, no team that has won the winter title, quote-unquote, has gone on to miss the Champions League. Milan would be the first ever team to do so, and especially in the three-pointer. I, it's just, it's just not acceptable, and it's something that would need to be, you know, management needs to put their foot down on it because at the end of the day, he came in as a short-term replacement because of the crisis with Giampaolo, and he was given the extra year because he, he had them playing real well, and and they were playing real well for the majority of this season. The issue is now. What are they doing when adversity hits? Certain players are not playing up to par. He's not been flexible with formation changes. And at the end of the day, they're in a free fall where, I mean, Atalanta's up up 1-0 against Sassuolo when they're down a man. They're blowing leads against Sassuolo when it's 11-11, 1-0, and they end up losing. I mean, there's just been a lot of recurring factors with this team that has caused them to miss Champions League. And it's trending in that direction again. And if he can't write that shit, he has to go. Simple as. Um, and the same thing that Stell was saying about Man United. Milan is Milan. You got to have some standards at the end of the day. This club should be consistently in the Champions League, not consistently fighting to get into the Champions League. So that's kind of where I stand with that. Well, you, you know, you bring up a great point. The last time Milan were that great Milan side, you know, even like you said, battling in Champions Leagues every, every season and, and, you know, at the top of the table every season. The last time they did that, the, the head coach, from my recollection, was Max Allegri. Um, and then when Allegri left, then kind of things went downhill. I mean, there was plenty of mismanagement mm-hmm. we talked about, but really the last coach that really was consistent with Milan, I think, was was Max Allegri. And, you know, we're going back now, what is that, seven, eight years? Um, Not ten years. Um, yeah. No, um, I think it was in 2014. He got fired my freshman year of college, is how I remember. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was after the Sassuolo match when Berardi had uh, four in that one. Mm. But you're right. There's been no top manager. Yeah. You go Seydorf, Inzaghi, Broki. Um, you go to Mihailovic. 
Um, I'm pre- and and they had they had Montella as well, Cotuso, and they had the option of Mihailovic or Sari at the time when Sari was leaving Empoli, and Sari ended up going with uh, Napoli, obviously, and that created one of the best Napoli teams of all time outside of the Maradona era. So I mean, you see it too. Everyone points to they haven't had the striker since Ibra. I mean, Carlos Baca was fine, and Pazzini was scoring goals. There was El Sharabi, there was Balotelli. They had some decent guys. Joe, you you could you could like uh, agree with me on this. There has not been a top manager, and I know you just no. said it too. Like, where has the guy been? I mean, Atalanta's had the better manager over the years. Napoli's had better managers. Um, Roma has had better managers. It's just been really inexcusable at the end of the day. And a manager brings stability long term because a lot of situations where, say, you get injuries. And they're able to come up with certain formations. Like Max Allegri was beating some of the best Barcelona teams of all time, and they were starting, you know, Kevin Constant against them. That what does that say to you in Champions League? That says a lot to me. Um, there, there's a difference with that. Um, and Milan lose to uh, or drop points against Benevento when the goalkeeper is uh, scoring a goal in stoppage time. That's what it's been like. Um, so again, if you're able to get someone that knows how to win. Um, and really stabilize and get a team consistently to the top four, you go and do that. You you don't play this game well. We want the stability. Listen, I get stability to an extent, but you know what's more stable? Winning with a top manager and getting to the Champions League more often. For, for me, that's stability, not trying to do something that Pioli has never done, and that's qualify for the Champions League. He got to the knockout stage once um, to, to get into the tournament with Lazio, and they ended up losing to Gladbach. So... Again, there's been no proof that he's able to do so. And if you're able to make that upgrade, listen, you go and do it, in my opinion. But um, I know there's a, quite a few fans um, that actually still want to keep him regardless. So, I mean, I, I can't be on board with that personally. It, 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 it's all divided, isn't it? <laughs> um, I, it's weird. It goes week by week, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. Trust me. Well, something that's been going week by week has been the situation with Gigi Donnarumma, as we just saw here. Uh, Paolo Maldini just said that, you know, they will pause negotiations over contract extensions until the end of the current season. And obviously, as we know, Gigi Donnarumma is a player that is definitely in demand of top of all the big clubs. We did see some teams that were very interested in him from PSG, Chelsea, Juventus, Inter. Um, but having said that, Martina, I know we talked about this at some point. You know, looking at also the situation that, you know, he was pressured by the fans as well. And, you know, going into this big game against Juventus next weekend, where it could be indeed decided if he's going to play Champions League football or not. I mean, how do you feel about this whole situation? And, you know, for his worth and for the way that he's acting and the way that he's been performing, you know, would it be smart for him to? And I know you want it to happen, but do you feel that for the sake of his career that he should stay at Milan? I think he, I think he should stay, and um, I've made this point a lot of times, and I totally understand where he's coming from because you know we look at him in a vacuum. You're like, oh, he's only 22; he's got plenty of time. But in reality, he's been here since he was 16, and it's been a lot of frustrating losing close opportunities to the Champions League where they fall short to qualify for it in recent years, and none of which were his fault. At the end of the day, right? It's it's all about outfield players. Um, if we're being quite honest, and it's it's happening again with them. They're just not clinical enough to put away some of these matches. Um, the marking has been terrible with some of these players. How do you miss that chance, Berardi? Sorry. I'm also watching and, and commentating at the same time. So, again, listen, 
the point that I'm trying to make is that Joe is a fan of Juve. He mm-hmm. saw a ton of top players go down, legendary players even. And I understand they played in Champions League. They even went to a Champions League final. Um, I know you don't want me to bring that up, but I uh, I had to just as an example, Joe. Thanks. But you, you have some of the legendary players in Serie A's recent generation that went down to Serie B and went – with their club despite all that. And I know football is romanticized to a certain level that, you know, it's not like that anymore. And I understand he wants to play there. He wants to get paid what he's worth. But he's also saying at the same time that he wants to stay. And if you want to stay at this at one point, then why aren't you doing anything that screams that? And he, and he did say the quote was that he ultimately decides his future because that is what happens, right? Because... The agent works for the player at the end of the day, despite Mino knowing him since he was just a a 14-year-old. So again, for me, it's all about Champions League. I think he wants to stay here. I think he will ultimately stay here, but the length in which he will stay here is going to be determined upon where they finish. If they finish in the top four, I think it's going to be a lengthy contract. If they don't get top four, I think he makes it short-term and puts them in this position where they could at least potentially sell him to where he might want to end up going. Um, and and it would also just give them another opportunity because there was growth this season. This is one of the best seasons they've had um, since they have fell out of the Champions League. It just so happened to be the year that Serie A is stronger than it's been in over a decade. Um, so again, it, it, it does come down to this match. And he's a very emotional player. And it, I think it does come down to the team that I think he would maybe consider going to, which is just, I mean, it would be terrible to see happen. But you can't completely rule it out with Juve because Juve, Juve at the end of the day. If Juve could go pull off a move like this, they'd dump Chesney in a second. they dumped dump all their legends like no problem. Um, so in, in reality, Chesney is nothing. Yeah, compared to some of the players that they've gotten rid of um, with no problem. So again, ultimately, I do I do see him saying, but I, I don't rule it out of the question. I think if he does end up going to one team, unfortunately, in Serie A, it would be Juve. And if not, I thought it was going to be PSG, but then you go see Kaylor Navas renew. But then again, he just had the worst match that he could have possibly had after the renewal. So uh, only time will tell, I guess. So, Martino, I, I want to jump in here because, you know, f- from my standpoint, from the Juventus standpoint, um, th- they're not exactly awash with money right now. I mean, not many clubs mm-hmm. in the world are awash with money right now. But looking at this, and, and you bring up a great point, especially looking forward to the, the matchup next weekend between Milan and Juventus, could we really be looking at the Donnarumma derby? Um, whereas, <laughs> no, seriously, where, where if Juve uh-huh. win and possibly knock Milan out of that Champions League spot, you know, Donnarumma is more apt to go to Juve or try to, to push that move to Juve. But if Milan stay in that Champions League spot, he's more apt to stay. And, you know, like I said, Juve is not awash with money, but they would be willing, at least in my opinion, they would be willing to drop Chesney in a minute if they could get Gigi mm-hmm. Donnarumma. Um, not that Chesney's a, a bad goalkeeper, but, you know, the idea of having the, the Italian number one for the next 20 years on their bench, it kind of mimics the last guy they had. Uh, if you think about it. So, you know, could you could we be looking at, uh, you know, an underlying storyline in the matchup coming up next weekend? I think to an extent. Yeah, I ju- there. It's it's just strange to me just because of it would be the ultimate heel turn. And that that I can collectively remember. I know Figo was a big deal with the 
Barca Real Madrid transfer. And listen, I, I I can't think of anything, right? I mean, maybe maybe you saw something like that. I, I can't think within Italy that would cause such a big deal in terms of a transfer getting very many people upset within uh, one family. I, I, maybe Baggio? No, what about the Iguain move from Napoli to Juventus? <sighs> you see, that's a little—I I agree with that. Yeah. I, I, think, I think so. I think that got a lot of people upset because it just made Juve even stronger. And I think it really got a lot of— um, Napoli fans upset but to the to this degree of you know a boyhood Milan fan playing in their youth ranks Higuain came over from Real Madrid and was only there for like two seasons this was a kid who's come up and and rightfully criticized Juve too there's been a lot of matches where um you know controversial endings whether or not they were legitimately controversial was him just saying it's always them it's always them saying like you know Echoing the sentiment of of a lot of fans that, you know, Juve are scandalous, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm not going to go into that. It's just, you know, a subjective thing at the end of the day. Um, so, again, it's kind of like you're doing that. You're kissing the badge to it would just be it would just be an ultimate betrayal. And ultimately, this kid is also someone who couldn't handle when they were throwing fake money at him. Mm-hmm. So when when he's not able to handle that. What do we think he's going to be able to do when he goes to play for Juve and he has to face Milan twice a year? I think that's something that he's going to have to evaluate too because he's a very emotional player. So he's going to have to deal with that. And for me, he's going to be getting plenty of money regardless of where he goes. I know I know his family wants him to stay. And he also can't leave Rayola, which a lot of people want to make the point about, is that when you sign up with Rayola, you're kind of locked down for a little while. We saw we didn't see Insigne leave him um, until in his mid to later 20s. It's just that when you sign up with Rayola, you're tied down, and there's a penalty fee that you have to pay up. And I know this from someone who's in the know with this stuff. So it's like you have to pay a penalty if you end up leaving him and it's a hefty fine and i don't know exactly the exact figure of it that's kind of where he's at with that and and honestly i don't know i think there's just a lot of pressure with it i i think maldini's right at the end of the day is that right now is a very difficult time to ask players to extend when they have four matches that are do or die to get into the champions league that would ultimately change the entire club's outlook for the next five ten years honestly um that's how big of a deal it is so ultimately, I say he stays because I just got to stay on that one wave. But I wouldn't be completely shocked if he did end up moving. And it's not the worst thing at the end of the, at the end of the day because the last two Milan clubs' titles have come with goalkeepers that are Samir Handanovic, who is a complete li- liability, and Christian Abbiati, who isn't even a tenth of the goalkeeper that Gijo is in terms of talent. So it couldn't be the worst thing, especially when they're linked to the best uh, goalkeeper in Ligue 1. Uh, this season. So, yeah. You know, um, you know Martino, I want to jump in here real quick because, you know, in some mm-hmm. in some ways, the the potential move for Donnarumma to Juve mimics a little bit of uh, Buffon's move from Parma to Juve, you know, at his youth. And, you know, he Buffon at that time came from a team, a Parma side that was dominant. They were playing in Champions League all the time. They were, you know, they were they were European yeah. giants at that point. And, uh you know, obviously the the fall of of Parma is you know well documented, but you know it almost mimics the same move: a young upstart goalkeeper that is the kind of the next coming of you know because Buffon pretty much replaced Zenga, um, mm. 
you know, it, it mimics that a little bit. It, it certainly Donnarumma moving would be much more controversial given, you know, going from um, AC Milan to Juve, there's a, there's a bit of a rivalry there. Uh, but, you know, that's, to me, it almost mimics uh, Buffon's path, don't you think? To an extent, yeah. I mean, Parma was just loaded, right? I think that's probably got to be the best team um, in Serie A recent memory outside, probably besides Atalanta. Um, that's really just outside of those top teams um, that we're so accustomed to seeing. That was just so dominant, even with Cannavaro, just up and down that whole team was just unbelievable. I think it does mimic that to an extent. But also at the same time, Joe, I don't know if you disagree with this or agree with this. Juve still have a lot of issues um, in terms of outfield players, too, that they need upgrades with. Oh, so it. I don't even think goalkeepers should be the priority. I think I think they only do this upgrade simply because of who Gijo is, not because of the goalkeeper position, if that makes sense. If it was any other goalkeeper available, I think they still continue with Chesney and keep doing what they're doing. I think they just have the holes in the midfield. Their striker position isn't really that solidified with Morata. I think he, I think he's good, but at the same time, I think they need to look at other places. I think the center back situation is still up in the air. Bonucci gets paid a lot of money. There's Chiellini's uncertain future, whether or not this is his last season. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still like the fullback situation. I think Juve have a lot of holes and players that they need to offload to that would make this kind of move difficult because he's commanding 12 million euros a year. Right. And that's a lot of money. He would be one of the top paid goalkeepers in the world. And that's just something that's not of need of theirs. But again, we know how this club operates. And if they're able to just, you know, put down a dead horse or stop the train before it gets moving downhill, um, they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if you could take away from a rival and weaken the, weaken them, they're going to do it. That's just the way Hugh they are. They're very cutthroat and, Listen, I respect it on a business level. Do I like them? Absolutely not. Would this make me angrier than anything I've ever... Like, this would make me as upset as the Mets losing the World Series. <laughs> they really would. Just because of who he's moving to. It would make me very angry. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Most of it's me hoping it doesn't happen and also the logistical side of it. It's a very difficult thing um, to have transpire. But at the end of the day, I only see them as the main suitor. I don't really see Inter doing this. I think Inter have proven that they don't really need to have a guy that's going to get paid that much money in between the net. I think they're going to go for someone of of a of a you know of a better level than Handanovic, but it, it doesn't even have to be at Chijo's level or salary wise right. as well. Now, now, um, you know, Martino switching gears to a, a league race that has definitely been very much heated it's we're going all the way to spain because mm-hmm. we got four teams that are really fighting for this yes we say four no it is actually four teams we got atletico madrid real madrid barcelona and sevilla all in the top four at the moment separated by only six points with a couple games left obviously we have um barcelona playing valencia today at the time of recording but having said that they still have to play atletico next week Real madrid have to play sevilla next week so all eyes are on this title race, man. And, you know, looking at how this race has become, we saw Barcelona drop points to Granada uh, midweek. And, you know, looking at how Real Madrid are continuing to focus on this and the Champions League. Atleti, they have stumbled a bit, but they're still maintaining their focus. I mean, how do you assess this this La Liga race so far? And you know what? For all my money's worth, who do you think is going to win it? All right. Well... I was watching the Atletico match yesterday, and I, I watch a bunch of their matches because I was just so fascinated by the window that they had um, two years ago um, to see the development of all the players that they had because it was a crazy transfer season, selling all the players they did and bringing in the players that they did. They were, I mean, they were just as far ahead as you could be 
in a great position not too long ago. And all of a sudden you blink and it's this close where Barca has a match in hand, um, aside from the one that they have to play later today. Whenever I see them, they don't take advantage enough of the opportunities that they create. Um, there were a couple instances yesterday where they could have drawn um, and dropped even more points. And this comes on the heels of, you know, Real Madrid having an injury crisis where a lot of players weren't healthy enough. It comes with Barca having a terrible start to the season on top of all the chaos that they've had from the Messi situation. It's all the debt that they're in, the ESL uh, on top of it, even though Atletico was involved in it. For me, I think if there was just one manager that's able to right the ship with this um, and has been there and done that, obviously, is Diego Simeone. And listen, man, you get paid <laughs> the amount of money that he does um, because a lot of people forget how much he gets. He's got to be the paid um, more than any coach in history in any sport as far as I know. Yeah, he's um, the highest paid manager at the sport. Uh, but by far in football, I mean, it's not even comparable in American sports, right? I, I, there's probably a couple. Nick Saban might be up there, if anything, but he's not uh, even just close. To, just to double check, it's around uh, $40 million, $34 Yeah, million. no, it's not even close. I think Saban maybe go around $12 million at the most at yeah. Bama. So, again, listen, you know my affection for Leo Messi. You know how much I, I love that guy and what it would mean for his legacy to pull off something like this. My heart says <laughs> Barcelona to win it, but my brain says one of the Madrid teams simply because they have the quality for that and they're that far ahead um, in, ter- in terms of you know just teams I trust in this. Um, and Griezmann's played great. I think this is his best stress with Barca recently, too. Uh, again... I think Atletico's still doing enough to get over that hump and win it. Um, so I'm probably just going to go with them. And I have a hard time seeing that epic collapse. But I'm pulling for that messy comeback, man. I think it would just be one of the best stories in football. I think it would be my favorite story this season, for sure. Um, so, yeah. I was saying, Martino, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in real quick because I want to just turn uh, turn your focus to France for a second because, you know, the tight right. race that we have in Spain is one thing, but we also have another tight race in, in France. Uh, at the time of this recording, we have Lyon, uh, who's currently out of it in fourth place at 67 points, but they're going to play Monaco this afternoon. Monaco is just behind uh, PSG and Lille uh, in the title race. We've got three matches to play. Uh, Lil with one point lead over PSG. PSG next week are going to take on a tough Rennes side. Uh, you know, what, what's your thoughts of this race? Uh, you know, it's kind of it's flown a little bit under the radar because everyone's looked at the Spanish race, but this one, especially with Lil being in there so long, right up to the bitter end here, they're the best defensive team in France as well. Only conceded twenty two goals in thirty five matches. Can that team actually pull off the upset and and win the league on this year? I think there's the I think there's a real good case that they could, right? Because mm-hmm. I think we know PSG's been there, done that. And the main reason why a lot of people aren't talking about it, because I think they just assume the casual fan is that this was over before it started. There's no point in looking at Ligue because everyone kind of looks at it the way they looked at Serie A for the past decade. Same way they look at Bundesliga now. It's it's Juve's to lose, it's Bayern's to lose, it's PSG's to lose. But this has been close the entire season. This isn't something that's been out of the ordinary, right? I mean, Lille, like they, they, as you said, they don't give up a lot of goals, but they have given up. Uh, they've drawn a lot of matches, right? Ten matches is a lot for a team, and they've done a great job of not losing. It's just for me, the main focus for PSG is this: they want Champions League, 
They just got to the final. They still have an opportunity to get there. I just think the focus in general, mentally, when they go and play, is geared towards that competition as opposed to um, Ligun. And, and it's not to say, like, listen, they could lose this coming week and they're out and they just focus on the rest of the few matches. And that's a lot more pressure on Lil because PSG have so much quality and that's just something that they do is just end up winning this. Um, for me, I, I kind of hope they'll win because they've done such a great job of building through this model of finding your talents, building them up, selling them for a great profit, and reinvesting in your squad and having another go at it, right? Mm -hmm. Because we've seen them sell Leal. We've seen them sell Oshman. Um, they revive Renato Sanchez, so we'll see what happens with him. Um, Jonathan David, the Canadians, joined them too, and he's done a great job. I just think there's been a talent factory out there, and this is just one of those seasons that we've kind of seen that you can catch PSG. Because we see Monaco do it once, and I mean, those they were insanely talented that season. They went to a semifinal. Um, I think they have the means to pull this off, and it's not even to say these other sides can't do it too. Monaco as well. I mean, Lyon. I think they're kind of out of it at this point. They would need a massive victory uh, today in order to uh, get back into the swing of it. But I kind of look at it with a three-horse race um, as of right now, with the determining factor with Monaco Lyon. I mean, if there's a draw there. PSG and Lille have to be thrilled about that. So, I don't know. My head tells me PSG again. Just because just even regardless of what happens, they'll have that little break if they get to the final or if they get knocked out. There's still plenty of time for them to pick up the necessary points um, to win the league. Although, I hope it's Lille. Lille, uh, to run uh, the final uh, the final three matches for them for the season, they're going to have to play fifth place Lens. Then they're going to face, uh, I believe, Saint Etienne and then Angers, all all mid to bottom table teams. So they do the 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 schedule is favorable for them. And if they run the table, they're, they're champions. It's it's really all in their hands right now. So, um, Martino, do you want to stick around for the uh, trivia answer? Yes, I had a, I had a guess in my head. Right. I, I promise I didn't look it up because I was too angry at uh, Atalanta being ahead. So I <laughs> promise so, no, I'm, pre I'm prepped for it. I'm cool. So give me it. give me one second. I'm going to go through the matches of the week coming up. So this Tuesday, starting out this Tuesday, City PSG, uh, second leg of the Champions League at three o'clock. Then we look at Libertadores, LDU Quito and Flamengo at 830 p.m. on Wednesday. Chelsea Real Madrid at three o'clock and then back to Libertadores for Internacional Olympia at 8 p.m. And then on Thursday, we have our two Europa League matches. Arsenal, Villarreal, and Roma Man United at 3 p.m., with uh, the Libertadores match being Atletico Nacional and Argentinos Juniors at 8 p.m. Then on Saturday, we have Dortmund-Leipzig. We've got a big match weekend this weekend. Dortmund-Leipzig at 9.30 a.m. Then we jump over to the Barca-Atleti match at 10.15 a.m. City-Chelsea going to play each other on Saturday at 12.30 p.m., and we're going to close out with El Trafico on Saturday night, LA Galaxy, LAFC at 8 p.m. On Sunday, Juve-Milan, 2.45 p.m. This is where I... I hate European football because nobody gets together and plans the damn schedule. Juve AC Milan 245, Rena PSG at 3 o'clock, Real Madrid Sevilla at 3 o'clock, and Portland Timbers Seattle Sounders at 3 o'clock as well. So pick your poison there at 3 p.m. Uh, you should be on the couch watching one of those matches, if not more than one. Um, Rob, can you give us a trivia question again? Absolutely. So this is coming from an optostat from Michael Kelly. So basically the question is, I want you to give me the name of the player with the most completed crosses since 2010-11 in the Big Five Leagues and in the Champions League and Europa League. So I'll, I'll give it to you in a second, Martino. For me, I jokingly wanted to say Antonio Candreva. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, because <laughs> he, he never met a cross he didn't like. Uh, but, I, you know, I, for some reason, I actually want to say Alexandro. Um, so I'm going to throw Alexandro out there. Uh, Martino, what, did, what do you got for this one? I had two in mind, but I'm going to go with Mueller. Okay, right. So you could have gotten Kondreva because he was third on this list. See, see what I mean? Uh, 342. Martino was the closest one out of both of you. Thomas Muller is actually fifth, six, seven, eighth on the list with 256. Ooh. Wow. Um, Joe, if you want one more. Yeah, to, you know, the other you one. You guys want one more question? I, I yep. was going to give you Kevin De Bruyne as my other one. Oh, not wait, a, I, I thought I thought of another. He's not one. on this list, so Martino, if you can give me mm. one more, and let's see if you can get it. Uh, there was two I'm coming down to, and it was two Barca players. Oh my god, uh, I'm gonna go Danny Alves. He's I know we second. stopped playing him. Uh, yeah. uh-huh. with 367, but you guys are both wrong. Unfortunately, it's not any of them. The player that is on the top of this list is Jesus Navas with 432. Oh. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Going all the way back to City and then the Sevilla. Sevilla's got a, you know, oh, yeah. a pretty high flying wide uh, offense. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, that's a great question, though. So, uh, gentlemen, uh, Martino, before we let you go, where can everybody find your work, my friend? Yeah, you could just uh, go on Twitter. Um, follow me at Martino Puccio on there. Um, there's some betting previews and stuff I do for the athletic. Um, if if you want to be interested in those, I'm gonna have one. Uh, there's a betting guide for. Uh, new football betters um, on kind of the ins and outs on um, how it works. Uh, and then the State of Play podcast, obviously. Um, and then Milan Reports, uh, basically uh, work for the Milan Reports website, host um, live streams um, on Tuesdays, and we also do post-match and uh, pre-match uh, stuff. And whenever there's transfer news breaking, we'll see if uh, Gijo up and leaves uh, to go to Joe, where I'm going to have to uh, not – converse with joe for a little bit if that were to happen <laughs> and it has, it's nothing personal um but it is personal but um yeah but go and follow me over there guys i really appreciate you uh having me on um it's always a good time great conversations as always uh great stuff man all right so let's uh let's hit the closing music and put the wraps on this one uh it's a great episode so for episode 325 of low limit football special thanks again to you martino puccio and to stel stiliano for joining us next week we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive into mls as well as look at the races status post uh the big matches on the weekend so for episode 325 of low limit football i'm joe ucello i'm roberto rojas thanks for listening everyone and good night